Have you ever seen, you ever seen the movie, The Lion King before? You ever seen that? I'm not talking about the one that almost put me to sleep in the theater that came out a couple of years ago. I'm not talking about that one. I'm not talking about the one that never should have been made in 2019 that's got Beyonce and Childish Gambino as the voices of the main characters. I'm not talking about that one. Instead, I'm talking about the good one. I'm talking about the classic one. I'm talking about the one that came out in 1994 and is no doubt one of the greatest Disney movies of all time. I was 11 years old in 1994 when the original Lion King came out. And I'm going to tell you something. I can't remember being a kid and being absolutely blown away by that movie. I was absolutely stunned and mesmerized. I was mesmerized by this movie about young Simba and the relationship he had with his father, Mufasa the king, and the envious Uncle Scar who usurped the throne by murdering Mufasa and how Simba eventually befriended Timon and Pumbaa a meek rat and a warthog, and they eventually exposed Scar's corruption, and they defeated him, and Simba was able to take, take the throne that he was the rightful heir to. I remember when this movie came out about 30 years ago, and I was absolutely blown away. In fact, as I have watched this movie over and over and over again for the past 30 years, one of the things that I have come to appreciate over the years is Simba's journey. Simba's journey to figure out who he was. For those of you who have seen this movie, the original Lion King, you know that when Simba's father, Mufasa, was murdered by the evil Scar, well, Simba fled from home and he went through an identity crisis. He went through a time when he struggled to figure out who he was and really accept who he was. He was convinced for a time that his life should really be just like Timon and Pumbaa's, and that is really kind of careless and, and lazy and akuna matata and, and just like every other ordinary animal. But eventually Simba realized that he was more than that. He was more than just the average animal, and he needed to embrace that. He needed to embrace his true identity. He needed to embrace being the son of a king and the rightful heir to the throne. You see, Simba struggled for many years trying to figure out who he was and accept who he really was. And my question is, is what about you? Do you know who you truly are? Do you know your identity? Do you know the truth about your identity? You know, unfortunately, we're currently living in a world where for a lot of people, especially for a lot of young people, they don't know the truth about their identity. 
They don't know who they really are. They actually spend much of their middle school years and high school years and even some of their college years all confused about that. And maybe that is because the society in which they're currently living in is just pulling them in all kinds of different directions. Maybe that is because for some people like the atheists, they want them to believe that they're nothing more than a grand cosmic accident and the result of millions and millions of years of macroevolution. Maybe that is because some people in their society want them to believe that their identity is solely defined by their race and their and their wealth and their status and their gender or how other people view them in society. Maybe that is because for some people, they tell young folks that they determine their identity. They determine who they really are by experimenting and sitting all over the place and being led by their feelings. You see, unfortunately, our society is pulling our young people in all kinds of different directions when it comes to them trying to figure out who they really are. But the question is, the question is, what does God say? What does the creator say? What does the book of the creator say about who you are and about your identity? I submit that these, these questions are so important to God that he doesn't waste any time giving us answers to him. He, he actually begins his book, which is the Bible, Right away, as, as early as the first chapter, answering these questions, telling us who we are, telling us the truth about our identity. We don't have to guess about this. We don't have to wonder and, and ponder for very long about this. We don't have to be confused and spend our young adult years or our teenage years just experimenting and sitting all over the place and stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out who we are. No, no, no. As soon as the first chapter in the Bible, God tells us, he tells me, he tells you who you truly are. He tells me and he tells you that you, you are his creation. You, my friend, you, you are God's creation. As God's creation, you know what that means? That means that your existence is intentional. It is intentional. When you go in your Bible to the first chapter of the Bible, that's where we're going to be mainly. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going back to the beginning. Many of you know that at least once a month we try to do a lesson that is specifically designed to encourage our young people, to equip our young people, to help our young people get stronger in their faith. And as school is about to start here pretty soon. I think that this is a lesson that's going to help them and keep them focused and on the right spiritual track as they begin a new school year. And so we go to Genesis chapter 1 and we look at verse number 26. And after God tells us about all the things he made in the beginning, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea creatures, the land animals. In verse number 26, it says, then God said, let us. Notice the word us there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, those who make up the Godhead. They were all together in the beginning. They were all involved in the creation. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man. That's mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There are a couple of things I want us to really appreciate about those two verses. First, I want us to notice what those verses don't say. First, I want us to appreciate, young people, that those verses don't say what you may be hearing in your science classes right now. They don't say what you may be hearing in your biology class or your physics class. They don't say that you are an accident. They don't say that you are the result of some lifeless mud puddle that formed billions and billions of years ago. They don't say that you and the other seven billion people on this planet just got here by chance. No, these verses don't say that. These verses say that God is real and God is the creator. He created all things and that means that he created you. He made you. He intentionally made you. You are the product of his creative handiwork. Just like the beautiful sunsets that you're blessed to see in this part of the country. Just like the beautiful stars that you're blessed to gaze upon at night, just like the oceans and the mountains and the plants and all the complex animals and creatures, just like that elephant and his long trunk, just like that long-necked giraffe or that fast cheetah or that laughing hyena or that massive but very swift hippopotamus. Even like that scorpion that sometimes gets into the house and causes my wife to jump on the kitchen table and scream to the top of her lungs, just like that, just like that creature. God also, God also made you. He made you on purpose. He made you intentionally. This is a fact that you can be 100% certain about, not just because I say so as a preacher, but more importantly because the perfect preacher Jesus said so. And so we go in our Bibles, keep your finger at Genesis chapter 1, and go to Matthew the 19th chapter, please. And Matthew the 19th chapter, if you remember, here Jesus addresses a very controversial question about marriage and divorce that is raised by the Pharisees. And in Matthew, the 19th chapter, and in verse number four, after the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus said, have you not read? That is, have you not read what we just read from this morning? Have you not read the book of Genesis? Have you not read the first chapter of the first book of the Bible? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he who created them from the beginning, made them male and female and for this reason, and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I know so often when we go to these passages, we like to really focus on what Jesus says here about marriage and divorce. We like to focus on what Jesus tells us about God's will for marriage. 
God's will for marriage is that it be a permanent relationship, that one man and one woman be together for a lifetime. That's what the Lord is saying here, and we certainly need to emphasize that. But you see, in addition to emphasizing what the Lord says here about marriage and divorce, another thing we really need to appreciate about these verses is in these verses, Jesus verifies, he verifies the Genesis account. He verifies that Moses was right. Moses was really inspired by God. The way he says it happened in Genesis chapter 1 is the way that it really happened. You know what that means? That means that we can't confess, you can't confess or profess to be a true believer in Jesus Christ and at the same time reject the Genesis account of creation. It's a package deal. You can't believe in one and reasonably not believe in the other. Jesus says, Jesus says that what you find in Genesis is what really happened. We can believe that because he's the son of God and he was raised from the dead. And knowing that and understanding what Jesus is saying there can impact our lives in some powerful ways. First, when you know that your existence was intentional, that God made you on purpose, then you can know that you're exactly who you're supposed to be. You're exactly who God made you to be. You're exactly who God wants you to be. Going back to Genesis 1 and going to what Jesus says here in Matthew 19, notice, notice how God doesn't blur the line and confuse gender distinctions. Notice how God doesn't say that, that you can't know who you are at the most basic and fundamental level. No, God says that you can know that and you can know that right now. You can know that as a young person. You can know that as a teenager, you can know that if you were born a male, if you were born a male biologically, then that is who God made you to be. You can know that if you were born a female biologically, then that is who God made you to be. To reject the gender distinctions of God is to reject God. It is to reject God's authority. It is to reject God's creative power. God made you exactly the way you're supposed to be. If you're born a male, you're supposed to be a male. If you're born a female, that means you are a female. We have no right to try to change what God has said. God doesn't make mistakes. And so if you know this, you know you're exactly who you're supposed to be. And you also know this, that you're accountable. You're accountable to God. When I say you're accountable to God, what I mean, what I mean is God has authority over you. What I mean is God has inherent authority over you because God made you, because you are the product of his handiwork. That means that he has the, the right to tell you exactly how to live your life, and you must. You are obligated to do what he says. God has the inherent right to govern your life because he gave you life. And that's why Jesus could say what he did in John, the 12th chapter. In John chapter 12, and in verse number 48, Jesus, who is the creator? We studied that last week in Colossians. Jesus said in John 12 and verse number 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke, the word I spoke as the creator is what will judge him on the last day. I submit that what you find there in that verse, what you find there is the main problem for the atheist. 
That's the main problem. I submit that when it comes to the atheist, when we say the atheist, let's be clear, we're talking about the person who doesn't believe in God. And when it comes to that person, when it comes to the person who doesn't believe in God, for the vast majority of those folks, I truly believe that their refusal to not believe in God is not because of a lack of evidence. It's not because they have a different set of evidence than the rest of us do. It's not because they can't see the evidence for intelligent design and the sun and the moon and the stars and in DNA and even in something like the human eyeball. No, if they can see the evidence for a designer in a 50-story building or in a Tesla or a Mercedes or even a, a soda can, well, they can also see design is something much more complex like the universe. If you can see design in the soda can, you should be able to see design in this complex universe. But the problem is if you acknowledge the evidence for design, well, then that also means you have to acknowledge God. And if you acknowledge God, well, then you've got to acknowledge accountability. Then you got to acknowledge that, hey, the creator, God, has authority over me. And that means I can't just live my life doing whatever I want to do, so I'll just cop out and say there's no God. That's the, that's the main dilemma for the atheist. And so please understand that right away God wants you to know, he wants me to know that our existence is intentional. He made us, and he made us on purpose, and then secondly, he made us unique. He made us on purpose, he made us intentional, and he also made us in a very unique way. Go back to Genesis, please, again. When you go there to Genesis chapter 1, we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we reread verses 26 and 27 as we listen to what God says about the beginning. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. Notice that, let us make man in our image according to our own likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. I want you to notice this language that is used over and over again here in this text. Notice how the text tells us over and over again that God made us in his image. God made you in his image. He made me in his image. When you go back, to the verses that come before verses 26 and 27, you'll see very carefully that when it comes to the other things that God made in the beginning, he doesn't say this about those things. He doesn't use this language when it came to making the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the sea creatures and the land animals. While all those things were also created by God, none of those things are described like this. None of those things are described as being made in God's image. You, young people, you are the only creation of God that was made in his image. The question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, before I tell you what it means, let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. First, let me suggest that when the Bible says you were made in the image of God, it doesn't mean that you look like God. It doesn't mean that when people look at you, they see God like they saw, like they saw God when they looked at Jesus 2,000 years ago when he was here on the earth. No, that's not what that means. 
It also doesn't mean that you are merely, merely an animal or a plant or you're just a bunch of cells lumped together and once you die, you're done and there's nothing more to come. No, being made in the image of God means that you were made unique. You were made special. You are a special creation of God. You are the crowning achievement of God's creative work because you as a human being are able to do some things that other creations of God are not able to do. For example, you can choose. You can make choices, conscious decisions. You can choose what you want to eat, who you want to marry, what you want to wear, where you want to go, what you want to do. You can even choose whether or not if you want to serve God. Isn't that what Joshua told the children of Israel in Joshua 24, 15? Didn't he tell them that? He stood before them and said, choose now this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is telling the children of Israel, you're able to do something that the creatures are not able to do. The dog, the cat, the horse, the cockroach can't do that. You can choose whether or not you want to serve God. You can choose. And you can also think critically. And you can reason. You can look at the sun. You can look at the moon. You can look at the stars and all the creatures and all the different animals. And you can comprehend the evidence for the existence of God. You can look at all the evidence for intelligent design around you and make a choice to accept the evidence and accept the existence of God. The dog can't do that. The cat can't do that. In fact, when it comes to dogs and cats and rats and horses, you got to understand you have dominion over those things. You have dominion over those things. Part, part of being made in the image of God means that we have authority over the other things God has made. Like the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, we too have dominion and authority over the animals. We have dominion and authority over the birds of the sky and over the sea creatures and over the creeping things. We, too, can produce offspring. We can produce children. And guess what God has given us the authority to do? We can name those children. We can name our children. Everybody here probably has a name that was given to you by your parents. Your dog can't do that. Your cat can't do that. Your bird can't do that. In fact, if you had dogs, cats, birds, and rats, and hamsters, you are the one that gave them those names. We have authority from God. Only we have authority that's from God to be over the land animals, to be over the creatures. We can actually share with God and some of the authority he has over creation. In fact, this brings, you to the, brings us to the main reason why we're special and unique before God, and that's because you have a soul. You have a soul. The dog doesn't have a soul. The cat, the rat, the dolphin, the whale, they don't have souls. We have souls. We have something in this body. We have eternity within us. 
There's so many passages I could show you to prove this point, but let me just give you one. Let me give you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, because Jesus, the Son of God, makes this very clear. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice how Jesus says that there is more to us than this. There is more to us than the color of our skin. There is more to us than whether we are short or tall or even male or female. You see, above any of those fleshly things, Jesus says we need to understand that we have a soul. We have a soul inside this body. We have something inside this body that is the real us that will live on. Forever, once we exit out of this life, we are unique and special. We were made in the image of God. That should impact us. That should impact our thinking. That should impact how we view ourselves. That should impact how we view other people. That should impact how we view human life. That should persuade us fully that all human life is important. That should convince us once and for all that we're special. We are unique. We are important and highly esteemed by our creator. Nothing else has been made like us. Out of all of the wonderful things that God has made in this universe, only you, only me, only us, we're the only ones that bear his image. We're the only ones that have morality and eternity within us. We're the only ones that have a soul inside our earthen vessel that will live on once we die and depart from this life. Our existence is intentional. It is unique, but let me close with this. It also has a purpose. Our existence has a purpose. And so let me ask you, do you know what your purpose is? You know what your purpose is? You know why you're here? You know why God made you? You know why God intentionally made you? I mean, did God intentionally make you so you can just live your life however you want to live it? Did God intentionally make you so you can just make the rules up yourself and, and make up your own standard for morality? Did God intentionally make you so you can focus your life on the flesh and just satisfy all your fleshly desires? Is that why God made you? Is that why God made us? Please go in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We're studying from Colossians at least once a month for the next four months. And there's a verse I want to pull out of Colossians that I think can help us. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 10. In Colossians chapter 3, verse number 10, the Apostle Paul says, And have put on a new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image. Notice that. According to the image of the one who created him. Notice how while we are special and unique as a creation of God, that doesn't mean we have the right to walk around arrogant. That doesn't mean we have the right to walk around puffed up 
with, with pride. No, the scripture says that because we were made in the image of God, our lives should be all about bearing God's image. The apostle Paul will also put it like this. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 31, when he says, whatever then you eat, whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, do everything all to the glory of God. That's our purpose right there. Do you see it? Our purpose in life is to glorify God. It is to glorify our creator. That involves doing so many different kinds of things. First, that involves learning about God. We got to learn about our creator. Will you go to Psalm 19, please? I want to show you something in Psalm 19 in verse number one. In Psalm 19 in verse number one, the Bible says the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Now, what's those verses saying? Well, those verses are saying that God is speaking to us through the creation. God gives us evidence for his existence through the things that he has made. Through the sun and the moon and the stars and all these beautiful things we see here in Arizona, God is saying, look, I'm real. You have no excuse not to believe in me. God speaks to us and gives us evidence for his existence through the creation, but through the creation, God does not reveal his will to us. You can see existence or evidence for God's existence through nature, but you're not going to learn God's will by looking at the sun and looking at the moon and the stars. You got to do something else. So what, what does the psalmist go on to say? In verse 7, he goes on to say, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Notice how these scriptures tell us that while we can see evidence for God's existence through the creation, if we're going to glorify God through our existence, then we got to do something else. We got to dig into his law. We got to dig into his word. We got to learn about God. We got to learn about his nature. We got to learn about how to honor him and serve him and glorify him. This means that once we learn what God tells us to do, well, then we got to do it. We got to serve him. Isn't that what Solomon told us as he reached the end of his journey to figure out the purpose of life? Solomon went on this quest. He wanted to know who he was, why he was here. Why did God give me life? And so at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, Solomon said the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. And keep his commandments because this applies to every person. What is Solomon saying here? Your life should be about God. It should be about fearing God, serving God, showing reverence for God, submitting to God completely. Seeking a relationship with him. Seeking fellowship with him. Seeking to obtain forgiveness for our sins through him and his son. This meant so much to God that we receive his forgiveness that he actually gave us his son to die on a cross. The purpose of life is to glorify God. The question is, are you doing that? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you glorifying God? Are you bearing God's image? Are you doing that on your job? Do you have a job that helps you glorify God? What about the college you've chosen to attend? 
What about your extracurricular activity? What about the person that you're dating or you're trying to decide if you're going to marry? What about your friends? What about the people that you're hanging out with? What about the kind of music that you are streaming and the kind of movies that you're watching and how you treat your parents and even how you treat your peers at school? Do your decisions and these kinds of relationships bear the image of God? Do they glorify God? Are they helping you fulfill your purpose in life, which is to do his will? What well, I just want you to see is you can know the truth. You can know the truth about your identity. You can know exactly who you are right now. You don't have to spend several years like Simba did trying to figure out who you are right now, even as a young person, you can know that God made you and he made you on purpose. And he made you unique and special and he made you for the purpose of glorifying him in your life. Maybe you sit there this morning, you realize that you are not fulfilling your purpose. Maybe you realize that yes, you were created by God and you were created in, in his image, but you're not living your life to his glory. You're not living a life that pleases him. If that describes you, you can stop that nonsense right here and right now and start fulfilling your purpose in life. You can start glorifying God. You can start serving God. You can't obey the gospel by believing in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. If there's anyone here this morning who realizes that there's not who realizes they're not living according to the purpose God has given them, if we can help you begin that journey, come to the front right now as we stand and we sing together.